we're already off to uh, a great start because I actually pressed record on this one, yeah. as whereas I did not do that last week. I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And, and I'm, I'm a, a writer, writer but... <laughs> Welcome to I'm a Writer, but today we have Tyler Barton. Tyler Barton's debut full-length book of fiction, Eternal Night at the Nature Museum, is forthcoming from Sarah Band Books. He's the author of The Quiet Part Loud and the winner of the Turnbuckle Chapbook Contest from Split Lip Press. Welcome, Tyler. Hi, thanks so much for having me. We are so excited to to have you. Thanks. What do you want to read to us? I'm going to read from a short story that is very much in progress and it's basically just like a really great opening and is like then I've been spinning my wheels for months now so I love it thank you cool okay right now it is called open mic at the axe box he's first on the list because he knows his shit tear a leaf to pieces he can tell you which species it is this guy speaks trees Put a palm to a bit of bark and he nails the ID. One try in the dark, that's it. Both eyes closed. I mean, he was a baby. I'm talking in a stroller, you know, when it happened. And it did happen. This is not some old Lake Sugar legend. The log let go of the power line. A rotted ass branch bit fell down against the soft glove of his young skull. Left a fat dent in his forehead, in his mind. I'm talking nine months old, maybe 10. That's his name too, Dent. If it helps you sleep, It's short for Denton, but it's not. I haven't seen his birth certificate, though I have been in his bed. And I do know what it says, Dent Gerardo. I know, sounds like a cowboy, but trust me, he's much more a monkey, the way he can climb an oak like it's his owner's body. Evening to you is how Dent begins. He'd be silent if not for the mic. His volume tops out at a whisper. There's a speed I'm here to bring folks up to. Preach it, my friend Lamelda says always treating the axe box like it's a church service. Old girl's a poet, she'll be up next. A true disciple. She's been reading dense blogs since the village first got internet. Tremendous, he calls it, tremendous.wordpress.org. Thank you, Melly, and thank you, Terry, for the hospitality. He sips G&T through a coffee straw, a trick to keep a handle on his alcohol, a handle he lost the night he brought me back to his cabin. A handle I don't see the point in grabbing. I take my logger down in gulps. Dent puts the PowerPoint on with a flourish. Little wrist snap to tap his MacBook spacebar. Engage. Projector screen glows with green foliage, full bleed. Silver birch, getting naked of its paper bark. It looks like porno the way this man shoots a ginkgo. I'm not shitting you. His lens makes breakfast of an aspen's every sawtooth. These photos are not stock. Anyway. His images are not important. They're simply wallpaper, pathos to back up his logos. He knows every tree in town, every stand along the mountain, and he's here to download us on their health. He used ArcGIS technology to make this interactive map, the one he's projecting on the screen Terry pulls down over the dartboards every third Thursday, this big, ugly map, the one where every color has a thing it means. I discovered a concerning, he says, pausing for a sip of G&T, clears his throat. You love him or you're jealous, or you're like me in both. Let's get better seats, Lamelda says. He's extra quiet tonight. 
we pick up our yinglings and sidle to a closer table. Trees keep the man young, thin. He climbs them, not a wrinkle in his skin, always sinking into his outfits, diet of water and pine nuts, spruce bark from time to time, not even a pat of butter in this man's fridge. He's a health nut. He lives up the mountain, but dresses like an accountant, holds old school note cards he never references, keeps a spare dongle creeping out of his dress shirt breast pocket and wears a cardigan so large it looks almost ironic the way the kids dress at the college. There's no joke about him though, except maybe the name. Dent says it chose him, or as he puts it, I was claimed. I've discovered a different type of poplar leaf. I'm talking dozens all through Dewey Park and not one tree there that could have produced these. I've got a two mile radius. His arms draw a wild giant circle through the air of the ax box. Please, ladies and gentlemen, raise your hand if your yard's got a tulip poplar I don't know about. Come on, I know this is awkward, but it's not some kind of trick. Help me understand, he says, just where these all are coming from. He steps away from the glare of their projector and supplies his 15-member audience, each with a school bus yellow tulip poplar specimen, a leaf with the shape of a cartoon kitten's face, ears and cheeks making four symmetrical points. Do you know it? It makes for a gorgeous margin, but when he hands me one, I smile and ignore it. He drops it on the table before me, and the leaf floats atop the ring of condensation created by my pint glass. You're a fucking ass, I say under my breath, but he continues on his delivery route. Lamelda's hand comes back and smacks my shoulder. Don't talk to him like that. And I'll stop for there. Good God, I can see why, why it keeps you coming <laughs> as the writer, <laughs> why it keeps you coming back. It, do you, is this like normal for you? Is this how you usually work on stories that they just don't oh. leave you alone and you just keep coming back to them? Or is this something different? It's really hard to say. Um, lately honestly or for like the last year I've just not been able to finish anything like mm. I just I don't know I get it's not that I'm not writing I'm writing a lot um and still almost daily but I just it's just like I'm writing like scraps of things that just feel really good and they sound rich and charged but like I have such trouble with narrative I've always had trouble with narrative and like now it's like I don't have it at all so I just have all these nice little beautiful chunks of writing that mean nothing. I mean, don't mean nothing, but they don't like connect to anything. Mm. And that's kind when of- you say, uh, when you say you have chunks, Tyler, do you mean that you, are you like a journal keeper? Are you someone who, when you sit down to write, if you have like a couple sentences that work, you put them somewhere or is it, is it more like everything? Do you view think all these little pieces as starts as a, I mean, how do you, how do you kind of organize it as you go through drafting? Yeah, that's the, that's the hardest part is organization because I just I've always been a very intuitive writer and in that I want to sit down with almost no plan and take a sentence usually out of my journal which honestly is just this notes app in my phone mm -hmm. and um, well there's a couple I'm a little bit organized in my notes app I have a couple different notes notes it's like poetry notes jokes for Twitter story <laughs> ideas epigraphs <laughs> And sometimes they're all kind of mixed together. But so I'll pull something from that if I need like a prompt or some sentence to start with or an image. But I usually just go and try to like let the voice carry me. And a lot of the stories in my collection, um, Eternal Night at the Nature Museum, they are, they follow that same pattern. It's like somebody talking and we're just going to follow their voice. And that ends up, I think, making a very um, 
it's very rich, but like also very swerving and like we go in different directions and things come up because it's, it is essentially just someone talking to you and they say things that come out of nowhere sometimes. And that worked for like so long and I could always like follow the voice enough to like find an ending, but I just can't do it right now. I don't know what it is. So I don't know. I don't, not sure if I answered your question, but no, you totally did. Yeah, I, I, I like to not plan things out and I don't know. I'm starting to think that I need to start planning things out and making outlines and trying to like storyboard things. But as soon as I do that, I like lose all of like the will to want to write. And it just feels like a to do a to do list. And well, I mean, aside from the fact that this past year, two years has been just fucking awful for all of the world. I mean, it, <laughs> it's understandable to me that you are having a hard time finishing, but you're still getting back to the word, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. um, it makes total sense to me, but I also can identify with what you're saying because my first two story collections were the same way. I would just catch something on the breeze or something, Mm -hmm. you know, and I would just start writing from there and it would unfold. And then things really changed. Um, and I always thought it changed for me because my time changed my, um, like my available brain space changed. Um, and that's not to say, cause I would, I would like proc- procrastinate and then I would write the thing at the very last minute and it would just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, flow out and it would be great. Um, so I, it wasn't that I was using all my time back then, but, but maybe it was like, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I can just totally relate to what you're saying because my, the mm-hmm. way I write stories now is in, isn't, is just so different. Um, right. and it, and it feels like. I was going to ask you this. So I'll ask you now, is it that the way you used to feel that something was finished has changed? Like, does it feel like that isn't accessible or, mm-hmm. or is it something different? I think it might be, I think, I think I've like in the past been very comfortable with allowing things to end uh, or find an ending that feels uh, at least even for a first draft, like that's a, I can't even find like a first draft ending. It's not that like, mm-hmm. oh, my endings are broken. It's like, I don't mm-hmm. know where they are. But mm-hmm. um, before it would be much more liable to just like let something end like a poem would end, like mm-hmm. end with images and just find the right energy to end with. But um, I think it's like, think maybe too much in my head about like, the marketability of my work or like mm. if I could ever write a novel, which I, I keep trying to write novels too. And like, just get, I keep spinning my wheels. Um, but basically like, like what it, well, what is a reader going to get out of this? And does this add up? Like, where's the story? And I don't know. So some of those questions just are kind of like in the forefront right now. And I wish they weren't like, I wish I could just feel more comfortable to like treat the work poetically. And honestly, like the more and more, lately I've just been writing a lot more poetry and like even my fiction uh, more uh, when I am stuck on it, I just like this chunk of writing that I just read has been obsessively edited at the line level (laughs) Mm. Um, because I'm just like, don't know where to go. So I'm like, Oh, I love this writing and I can keep making these paragraphs even better, but I don't know where that, where they go. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. So I think, I think it's just a phase. It's probably the, pandemic a little bit um been working more too but also i think it's i think it's a little bit of like 
weird anxiety about having a book coming out kind of like mm-hmm. I really dreamed about this for a long time. And now that it's, it's been, it's been, you know, in the process of happening for the last like 15 months and like, it's been so exciting and I am very, very grateful. I'm like so lucky, but there's this sense of like, well, I reached this thing I really wanted to like have a story collection. And now I don't know like what the next thing is. And I'm in this like kind of rut. I think I also freaked out. It might've been on your podcast. I heard it. Somebody was like, the worst thing to do when you're waiting for your book to come out is to like not have a current project that you're in the middle of, like to be like, like the best way to, I think might've been Matt Bell said it somewhere too. Maybe I've heard it from multiple authors, but just basically like the best way to be when you have a book coming out is to be deep in another project. And like, I can't get deep in a project. I keep just like writing all these openings and writing these like little prose poems that might work in a story, but I have no idea what the narrative is. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. So. Yeah, I think it's um, it's really quite something what putting a book out can do to you. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I because it is it is a dream come true. It's a miracle. Mm-hmm. It is so awesome. It is so exciting, and it's a huge accomplishment. And at the same time, it it causes all these other emotions and all these other thoughts. Right. Um, you know, I can I I always told myself well, I have to do something different. I have to do something more because yeah. I'm sick of this. I want to, I want to show myself or show my, you know, phantom readers that, that there's more to me. And mm-hmm. then, yeah, that's like the easiest way to start. Um, like start a story and then be like, eh, and then what? I know. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And so what, like the, so what question just feels so heavy lately too. I think I maybe it's because just the, I have in the last, like, five years really come online a lot more to like how just despair, how much despair there is in the world. Not that I was like um, ignorant of it before, but just like, so it just feels like there's so much heavy, important shit happening all the time. And so much of it is bad. And it's not like that I'm walking around in a complete like doldrums, but like it, then when I'm writing, I'm like, oh, this is really fun story. And like, this is funny. And these characters are interesting and colorful, but then I'm like, so what, like, (laughs) and what do they have? Like some kind of small personal problems. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, what half my brain is like, yeah, they do. Cause that's what it means to be alive. And like, you have to deal with your daily little problems and they mean more than that. But then the other part is like, but it has nothing to do with global warming and it has nothing to do with like, you know, so that stuff is just, um, that's tough sometimes, but I think everyone. Oh, totally. I was talking to a friend who's going to school to study environmental stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, she's working with all these climate change thought leaders. And she was telling me about it. And I was like, yeah, I print books on paper and I hope lots of people buy them. Right. So, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, it's easy to, to go down that road, but I also think about like, like right after Trump got elected, my husband and I were just like, well, fuck reading, fuck anything. Like who cares about, like, why should we enjoy life ever again? <laughs> you know? I know? And then we just came out of that really quickly. And we were like, no, like this is the whole point of living. Right. Yeah. It is the whole point is art. I mean, I, and- I constantly think of um, like, I, I just reminded myself of images of Emily St. John Mandel's um, Station Eleven of like oh, yeah. this trap, this troupe like performing. I think they're performing Shakespeare or, or plays in some way. Like they're, it's the uh, the world has already ended, and their like goal is to continue 
putting on these shows for people. And I don't know, there's something very romantic about that. And not that I think I'm that, but uh, no, you but know, it's necessary. Yeah. It's, it's really all yeah. the human race has to offer. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, everything else is take, take, take. <laughs> right. Totally. So, um, anyway, it got depressing, but, but now I oh. want to talk about how wonderful it is that your book is coming out and what that okay. process has been like. You said it's been the past 15 months, but it was before that too. Cause in the book, I believe oh. you said it was done by 2018. <laughs> I was actually going to bring that up. I wanted to talk about that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I got uh, the book was accepted like last July. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the book. Um, I'm sorry. Probably... I'm going to stop you. Sure. I do want to hear the, what you were going to say, but of I would course. love to hear what it's like to go out on submission with a story collection. Cause I know uh-huh. all of us are told nobody wants a story collection, you yeah. know, like write a novel, write a novel. And so I would just love to hear how that was for you. Sure. Um, yeah. So I, I went to an MFA program and wrote a number of these stories while I was there or like the beginnings of these stories. And after I left that, when I graduated from my program that my thesis was a story collection and early version of this, this is probably like seven iterations out from that, but um, still essentially the same book. And it just, then the few years after I graduated, I graduated in 2018. So then it, it kind of morphed for two more years and I I was sending it out like the middle of 2019 and then into 2020. But um, I, started by contacting some agents and I had the same, the story, the same story that a lot of short story writers have, which is agents being interested. Um, some agents that made me very excited about my future and like the fact that I was even having conversations with them, but it was all this, the same conversation. Like we really, you know, like these stories or like these few stories from the manuscript you sent and, uh, we'd love to see a novel someday and, you know, keep in touch. So I had like three or four of those conversations and, as unpopular as it is, I knew that like, even if I had sold the story collection to like a big five publisher, it still was going to have a really low readership. And I didn't like have dreams of being George Saunders, though he may have been a big influence on me. <laughs> um, I have dreams I, of being George Saunders. Sure. But like, I didn't have, um, you know, delusions, I guess that I would, but I don't know. So I was like, I know it's going to be a small readership and a tough, uh, tough process. And I, you know, I'm not a patient person. So I was like, I'm going to publish with, or I'm going to try to publish with a independent press or a small press that I really respect. And I've, am a big reader of indie lit and small press lit and am just wide eyed at things like AWP and going up to tables of great presses, like, you know, like Featherproof and like even, you know, Rose Metal Press and mm-hmm. um, Sarah Band is a, a a press I long loved and $2 radio, all these places. And so I was like, I'm going to try all of my favorite small presses and see if anyone wants this book. So, um, so yeah, I submitted to some contests and a few open reading periods and it got rejected a couple of times. And I actually submitted to Saravan books, their prize that they run every year. And I submitted it in um, 2019 and it was a finalist. And they said, Hey, you should submit this again next year. And we'll even waive the submission fee. So that felt like they were like serious about it. And then mm-hmm. I submitted the second year and I also did not win. I was like, it was between my book and another, but they decided to also publish my book, which was oh my God, that's just the, the coolest phone call I ever had. So yes. yeah. And I loved it. And Sarah Band has been great. So like, I, um, I don't, I don't 
I, I think I made the right decision and this is, this has been really good, but you know, there's always that, like, I do want to, you know, get an agent and, and publish, uh, publish a book that will, you know, that my mom can find in the airport. Like that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I think it's gonna, it's gonna take, uh, it, I'm going to have to grow a lot more as a writer. I think I need to figure out how to write a novel. I don't know, but for right now, I am very happy where I am. I gotta say. I really, I really love the, uh, the approach to group stories the way you did. And I was trying to think of examples. I mean, Catherine Scanlon's recent collection kind of had some groupings like that in a really interesting way. And I was wondering if you had had models for that, or if that's something that's just kind of evolved over time as you were setting it up with the editor or how, how did that emerge? Totally. Um, I'm glad you brought this up. I've had a lot of fun rearranging this book a number of times and reselecting stories. And um, it, it's taken many different shapes, has had different titles, has had many different layouts or, or not layouts, um, arrangements. But basically I thought about it like a poetry collection. I read a lot of poetry and lots of poetry collections are in three to four sections. For the longest time, this was in like four sections of five stories. And I kind of like that, but um, it was kind of hard to tell exactly what the four sections were speaking to from an outside reader. Like I, of course, have this big, you know, like that meme of the woman doing math, like that is me <laughs> um, about like the earlier versions of this book that was like, oh yeah, but they each, each story speaks to this one in this way. And each section goes through like a different period of like um, searching for home or something, but uh, it was all kind of like not happening for the reader. So Uh, but we still ended up keeping in three sections and I can't even really tell you what it was now that makes these stories be in the three sections that they are. I do think that there was a science behind it at one point and I've kind of like just gotten too close to the book and, and don't really remember. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That sounds awful to say as a writer, but basically like, I do think it has something to do with where the characters are in their, um, either relationship with or pursuit of home. Um, once I, it took me like, as I was saying about those six or seven iterations, it wasn't until the final iteration when I reorganized the book again before submitting it to Saraband because I didn't want them to read the exact same book again. So I swapped out a few stories, reordered it. And I realized in that time that the book was very simply like a story collection about home. And even when I submitted, it was called um, Where the Rubies Live and Other Homes because I was trying to be Carmen Maria Machado. Um, <laughs> so, and they were like, this is a nice title, but let's find something new. But Anyway, uh, but yeah, it was like characters who like literally didn't have homes or were like trying to, uh, or they're like in the beginning, I think, you know, the first character, like he is motivated by a search for a home. And then I think a home blows up (laughs) very shortly after that. And then characters who are like getting closer and then characters who have found a type of home, but then are still restless in some way, um, I think towards the end. So it's kind of like a progression in that way, I hope. What do you think that it, do you, did you know as you were writing these stories that, that there was this theme of home or is that something that you find yourself coming to again and again, or is that something that was made clear to you as you were organizing it? Yeah. It's something that came out really late. I I joke sometimes with friends and I want to read it sometime at like a reading as like to uh, uh, be self-deprecating, but I would love to read the like (laughs) um, jacket copy type exercise I wrote for the book like really early like this is what my book's about I think I did it while I was still in grad school and it was just so like idea heavy I used lots of fancy words it was like 
all about liminal spaces and um, like how uh, humans understand the now and uh, these things that I am very interested in and concerned with, but like just were a little bit too like up in the air. And then I, once I like stepped back away from it for a bit and really looked at all the stories like, oh, what they all have in common is some kind of like um, restlessness about home um, and trying to discuss. And I, I just allowed myself the uh, room to be like, it is about this like very broad kind of vague thing, but it, it's allowed to just be about that. Because when I try to drill into like talking about capitalism and talking about like mindfulness <laughs> and how these things are related, it's just like was too much. And I was like, I don't know, stopped even being convincing to myself. So I kind of just let it be more simple. And I was like, oh, these, all these people are just miss where they come from or are looking for a new place to be. Are there writers that people continually say, oh, Tyler, are you a fan of whoever? I, I feel like as I was reading through, I thought of, I thought of Barry Hannah in places. I thought of That's Amy funny. Hempel in places. Um, yeah. Dennis Johnson. Yeah, Dennis Johnson. You have the Mary Robeson epigraph, and it's clear you're a fan of hers. But are there are there names that people have said to you as as the uh, advanced reader copies have been in the world? Hmm. Um, you know, not a lot that have come up. People bring up Barry Hanna to me a lot, and I have never connected with Barry Hanna. I bought the big collection. I think it's called Airships a couple of years ago when my mm -hmm. friend. Uh, Amanda Malone, a writer, she told me that I should read it. And, but I, I did connect to the voice, I think like, cause I write with a lot of like very kind of, I have to describe as like loud and colorful voices or strong voices. It's voice driven writing. I did get that from reading Barry Hannah, but I didn't really super connect with it. But um, yeah, people that it's been compared to, I mean, without certainly without asking for it. I mean, I asked Amelia Gray for a blurb and Amelia Gray uh, is one of my heroes. And she was She's like, best. you know, said some, she mentioned George Saunders on the thing, which was really nice. I mean, I do love George Saunders. I, I mean, I don't think a lot of people who look like me don't love George Saunders. <laughs> um, I don't really read him a ton anymore, but like, man, when I read 10th of December, it was right around, I mean, I don't mean to do this to like butter uh, Lindsay up, but I was very inspired by Don't Kiss Me and then went back yes. to Daddies. And those, the voice in those stories has, is, I often feel sometimes I'm like, am I ripping Lindsay Hunter off? You know, <laughs> that's why we, that's, we wanted to me want to write about this. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> it, why you're here. That's why you're totally. here, Tyler. I mean, it made me want to write flash fiction and really like uh, just gave me so much energy to, to write. And, um, yeah. I Thank you. That's, I that's going. amazing. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. And uh, my, my chat book, which is all flash uh, stories, um, the quiet part loud. Some of those stories actually reappear in this book. Um, they're, yeah, I feel like they're really heavily from my stage of like, just like loud, brash narrators who are just going to like say some wild stuff and like <laughs> make you really like make you remember like what a book can do, like how it can talk like directly to you and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, not a lot that like come up but I, again and again. Uh, I think my biggest influences are uh, some of those writers I just mentioned. Um, really, Amelia Gray stories are right in the same uh, lane. I was reading a lot of Amelia Gray while reading um, Lindsay Hunter's, <laughs> Lindsay Hunter, Lindsay's <laughs> stories. And um, as well as uh, Justin Torres's We the Animals is like a mm -hmm. book I've read so many times. And 
I think like he is able to access like to get even like deeper emotionally sometimes than I'm able to get to. But I really think like the way the sentences uh, add up and like the kind of rhythm of the stories and for him, especially the way uh, paragraphs like run into each other and play off of each other. I've, I've taken a lot from reading his work, but it sounds like you that. just, you just need to find the next Amelia Gray thing mm -hmm. that yeah. charges you up. Right. right. Like, I think the biggest recent obsession I've had, like with a writer, like reading all of their books multiple times is um, Mary Rufel, uh, the yes. poet. And I think that also is leading to me writing a lot of poetry and not being able to um, think about plot or like care about it. Because even like in her poems, like the thread is constantly lost and it's just like we're jumping from thing to thing. And it's, I love it so much. But yeah. maybe if you sat in your car and you wrote, a uh, like a a scene on a note card like Mary Robeson did and why did I ever and oh, that's yeah. how you can write that's all that book is right it's totally. I mean there's a through line yeah. there's a narrative and there's you know the same voice and everything but she couldn't do it either until she sat in her car with her note cards you know so yeah and I did I really enjoyed that book but I wouldn't be able to at the end of it like really give a um you know if someone was like what's the book about like give me the synopsis I'd be like kind of hard pressed to like follow the thread but like menopause I'd be like, oh man it's it's beautiful it's just so great it's funny and every little chunk is great but like that's like what I like about writing it more than you know all my favorite novels even if they have amazing plots and narratives in these moments where the plot turns and uh and things are revealed like I, I still four years later I don't remember plot turns I remember details and I remember yes. sentences so I just totally. have to like remember to trust myself like what I'm interested in is more uh, granular and and I don't think that that's ever going to be like super popular but there's plenty of writers who I love who have made it work for them and I'm going to just keep doing that I think but at some point there does need to at least be an act or two. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be three. <laughs> it would be nice to have three. Yeah. I think I worry about plot a lot. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Don't you? I just, no, I, no. I, Alex, your books have, they have plot, but their plot is still like, so like unpredictable, like so yeah. loose and like, we are, we're always going in a, in a certain direction, like, but it, it turns like, and there's a lot of room for other things that come in that you're not expecting. And I love that, but I want to be able to write that loosely too. It's like, I want to be loose, but also have a plot. I don't know. I think you can i think you can do it i think you just have to do it i mean i, I know I, I don't even i don't even mean to be glib i'm it's just i i think you know you just have things happen you just get balls in the air and then you just keep going i, I think alex what did you tell what was that advice that you got that was like if you're stuck oh yeah yeah this is this is like my big novel pitch to people who are like i don't know how to write a novel you just have one character go after one thing and that's right. it yeah and it sounds so, so silly, but then it really is so grounding. Um, right. Because, you know, let's say, let's say the, the plot that you've constructed or the characters that you've started with, you have three characters, you just determine what each one's going after. And then you set out. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. I, it's useful to me to dumb all these things down. You know, I, I never, I never think about charting a plot or, right. or, anything like that it's just 
do I have enough balls in the air to like get myself through the next four pages or five pages or whatever? I just, right. I really try and keep it <laughs> at the absolute most base idiot level that I can, because I think really the only difference is like you either finish or you don't. And mm-hmm. the people who end up writing books, they just finish books and right. <laughs> You know, man, that is it, so true. That is so it really is true. It, it really you know, is about just staying power. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. Endurance. I mean, I'm sure Tyler, I'm sure there are people that you were in grad school with who were just, you know, knockout writers. Lindsay, you too. Yes, and I can think of one right now. Yes, me too. I have someone in mind who honest, I was, I just thought was head and shoulders above everybody else and nothing, nothing. And that doesn't mean that they're still not head and shoulders of everybody else in a way, but it's just like, it doesn't mean anything about writing books and it doesn't mean anything yeah. about, right. You know, it doesn't really ultimately mean anything beyond this person's a great writer, which right. I don't know. I, I yeah, it's, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to feel about any of it, but yeah, I was, I was so, um, I was nervous earlier today that every time I talked about writing for the last like year or so, it's been like about these types of things about, like someone asked me about my writing and then I quickly deflect away from talking about my book to talking about my struggle with finishing anything and how I'm in this mm. kind of like weird rut. And this today I was like, don't just get on this podcast and like have it be therapy <laughs> about how you can't, how you're not like currently working on something. Right. Bigger. And, uh, but I've done exactly that. No, no. <laughs> and, and you know what, man, it, it, it's so exciting to have, your first book be a story collection yes a story collection be something we can all be excited about and champion Mm -hmm. because i think your path and everyone's path who ends up getting a short story collection published by an indie press or really honestly anywhere agented Mm -hmm. submission or contest winner or whatever it is those are stories that we should have we should be telling because they're all a little bit weird and different Mm -hmm. and you know we need more of these uh these great collections out there and to people for people to feel like it's possible because it is, it's mm-hmm. like, is it difficult? Of course, but like, yeah, yeah. A lot of great story collections are still coming out. And so it's so fun to be able to talk with you about this one because Thanks. I think, um, yeah, I think it's so easy to get bogged down and like, Oh, nobody wants to read stories, but that's really not true. I mean, it's not I, true at all. Yeah. At all. Yeah. No. Yeah. They don't want to pay for them. they're reading them they're reading them they're reading them can we talk about your um your literary art sure and that kind of those kinds of things that you're also up to your visual art i've got a couple of different projects that i've worked on um by myself or with my uh partner aaron who's a poet aaron dorney um we have worked on a couple of pieces together that kind of straddle the line between um uh, literary work and visual work and have been even installed in a museum. My favorite example is this thing called the Hidden Museum where we uh, wrote a bunch of uh, placards or like information panels for works of art that don't exist in the museum, but uh, we're imagining are there or and they're referring to some kind of physical thing in the space like an air vent or a window <laughs> or a scratch in the floor. And then we, uh, we're, we wrote these uh, museum labels that discuss what the piece is, who made it, and kind of a little bit into why they made it, but they're all like maybe a hundred words. Like they're really short and we kind of co-wrote them and we actually installed them in the Susquehanna Museum of, the Museum of Art a couple of years ago. That's a 
It's a really cool little museum in Harrisburg, PA, uh, near Lancaster, where we were living. And that project I'm incredibly proud of. It was so much fun. Uh, so there was like 20 different pieces that people could walk around and read these car placards. And then we actually saw on the opening night and other times when we've been at the museum, because they left it installed for like, it's still up actually, I think. Um, oh, wow. We could like see people interacting with it in like just such a cool way. Like them looking really closely at the ceiling and trying to be like, wait, is that <laughs> somebody made that? And so some people think it's a real thing, even though there's like a information sheet at the door that like tells you um, that there's these 21 pieces and you can try to find them and stuff. But so that project's the Hidden Museum and we always talk about doing more of that. We actually wanted to write a book like that until, you know what, it's like such a tough moment. We were at AWP and Aaron was walking up to me. I was at the table of whoever published it. It might've been Zank, but there's this, and it's a really cool book. It's called like the something Seagrave Museum of Art. And it's a whole book of museum placards. So the whole oh. story is told, told this way. And I was holding it and Aaron was like, what's that? And I was like, I was going to hide this from you, but this is our idea. <laughs> oh, uh, God. But I mean, it's a novel that's told through them. It's a really cool book. I mean, it's amazing. But so this is, we also were let, we had already done our project, but um, I think we'll always try to keep it in a visual space so that it's something people can interact with in person. So it's not just a book, but um, yeah. And then I do some other visual work. Like uh, I like to make signs, like fake signs that match uh, the real signs in my neighborhood and then put them up and just, I don't know, it's just fun. So uh, there's some of those are on my website as well. But. Yeah, one of them, it says, no parking, temporary plea. There's a portal here. I've lost someone important, something yes. like that. <laughs> that's my, that is, that's my favorite one. Actually, there's like a community art show in Lancaster this summer and I submitted my, I actually installed it on a, on a road cone and then just brought that in because they said your anything you submitted like could be up to like three feet tall and like 24 inches wide or something so i was like oh this fits and i submitted that but um so yeah those are installed all over the place just kind of like these fake parking signs because all through it was really during the pandemic i was a little bit bored but also the city i was living in uh lancaster pennsylvania it's a really cool little city but it's become so gentrified and so expensive to live in, in the last year every row home in the city was being flipped, especially on our street. So there was just constantly these parking signs everywhere because everyone was either moving or was gutting a house to flip it. And I just was seeing them on my walks three times a day. And it was like, I hate these signs and I, they're always blocking me from being able to park. So then I made a bunch of fake ones. There's like <laughs> 15 different ones and put them up. And it was like, really like a very pure example of like, just responding to just needing to deal with this anxiety about like, is my landlord going to sell my house? Will I ever be able to buy a house? Where am I going to park my car? Is my par car going to get hit by a uh, moving truck? Like it did twice while we oh were living God. there. It took off oh the God. same mirror that I had to reinstall twice. Um, so like, how do I deal with that anxiety was through like making these signs and putting them up, which was kind of fun because it reminded me of being a teenager. And I used to do lots of insouciant, shit as a teen like <laughs> messing with people's like uh we would like uh switch yard ornaments and stuff from one house to another so it looks like they are like someone's stealing from the other person so and doing you know dumb kid shit but that kind of energy i got in from doing this project because i had to like sneakily put up some of these signs and stuff 
Um, so anyway, that was a lot of fun. And I'll probably do something like it again because there are just some really hilarious signs in the town that I live in now. (laughs) It's still like, just like tweeting is writing. If you're, you know, if you're a writer, like we all like try to make our tweets, I don't know, like you're carving a tweet somehow, you know, you're like owning it. It's the same kind of thing here because it's very little text. Uh Um, and the same with the, with the museum placards. Um, what do you think it gives you? Like what kind of, is it different? Is it a different feeling that you get? It's still your words and -hmm. it's still something you made and, and honed, but what does it, does it give you a more immediate sense of, of the viewer or the reader or like a connection? Like, what do you think it does for you? Right. On a very, um, what's the word? I don't know. On a very like simple base level, it's like, I think it's like this thing of, well, I'm making books and I am seriously, I'm just blown away by any person that buys my, has bought my chapbook and read it or reads a story online. Like I, I'm in, I'm in love with that, but it's still like the things that I do, they end up in books that no one reads, you know, no one. And I say that knowing that that's not true, but, um, and so I guess it's probably influenced me more in the last few years to be like, how can I like do something that is gonna, that I can actually put in front of people. So like, no, I can't make somebody walk into the bookstore and find my book and buy it. But like, I could force them to read my thing by putting it on the street in front of their house, which is kind of like, um, you know, it's not like the best behavior. And it shows that like, I do want attention. You know, a lot of this is like, you know, probably restlessness about not getting enough attention, but I do like the idea of art, like meeting you in your daily life. And it's something that me, that Aaron and I are both obsessed with is like, we love conceptual art, uh, and, um, public art. And we have some very close friends, uh, and mentors who have, who are in Lancaster, who are um, really into public art and how to do things that engage the community with your work. So we like to put art out in front of people, um, for sure and take it out of the page and like out of the bookstore where not a lot of my people might see it and kind of, um, I don't know, push the subject a little bit more. Uh, it's exciting to me. And it's also, I know a distraction from writing books too, I think, uh, but it's worth it. I get, I get a lot of energy and fun from it. And actually like every time I have an idea for an art piece, that would be like visual or public in some way, or even like a sometimes like a series of photographs that I might want to take. I often will at the same time, like write about it in fiction or in poems. And mm. there's a lot of, uh, there's a couple of failed novels from the last two years that like I've written. I mean, maybe they're not failed totally, but I've written like 50 pages of and given up on that are like, basically like, let's try out making a character who makes this work of art and see what happens to them. But then it's it's always just like, very thinly like also about a writer because it's just that I'm removing it one step out to like, Oh, they make visual art, but, um, (laughs) but it's kind of fun. Even the piece I read for this show was like, I love open mics and I love um, people who get up in front of people and want to like show their thing. So a lot of times when I have an idea that I don't feel like actually doing at a reading or, or trying to make in some way, I'm like, well, I'll just make a character do that. And that'll be funny. So (laughs) it sounds like you're, like narrowing in towards something new I don't know like like I was, like, was going to say the same thing yeah like you're you're 
you're saying that you're writing all these prose poems and that you're you're like going back and editing like these these scenes or these images mm-hmm. or even this little bit of dialogue and it sounds like you're also kind of doing the same in these pieces you know like you're it seems like they're they're converging somehow um or they will converge at a certain yeah. point um in a really exciting great. way i hope so that would be awesome. i think it just comes down to being obsessed with language i mean that's like i need i think another thing is that i've gotten kind of um down sometimes about writing in the last few years just about my things that I'm like running up against that I can't seem to get past with trying to finish things or trying to piece together a novel. And then I don't want to like lose my love of writing. So I have to reconnect with it through other projects that, that get more to the base of why I came to this, which is that I love sentences and I love words. So it's like, um, even more, I think than I love story. So, uh, anyway, so that definitely connects me with it. And I'm not like, if I like sit down and I am writing and I write a poem, I am not like, man, I should have written a story. Like I'm still very happy that I wrote a poem, even if I don't submit poems a lot, but um, yeah. So it's all writing and it's all like what I love to do. So if I'm spending time doing it and even if it's not adding up into a book that will get me an agent or something, like it's still a good way to be spending my time, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I hope so. Yeah. yeah, it's all writing, you know, like it's all right. connection. Like I think about all the books I wrote that are never going to see the light of day. And I, and sometimes I think, why did I do that? You know, like I yeah. should have take, taken a nap or something, you know, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. or like watched something on TV. I don't know. <laughs> but then I yeah. realize it's because it's my way of, of growing. It's my way of like, of, of checking in, you know, of like testing myself and staying connected, you know, like totally. It really it's is a fun. muscle you have to flex. Yeah. It, a lot of times it's fun. And it's also like to be a little bit mystical about it. The I think that the only way to for me to really access like the now or like to be in the present is to be like deeply engaged in an art idea. If that is a, a flash fiction, a poem, a short story or something that I want to install outside of my house. It's like when I'm having ideas and stuff that's when like time I stop thinking about time and it goes away so even if I can spend an hour a day being disconnected from the time clock in my head of like all these things I got to get done and I can just like spend it on this thing for 40 minutes before work or something which I'm grateful to not have a commute to work so that I can have those 40 minutes um then it's like a great way to spend 40 minutes every day. I don't know. Like, yeah, if we're, if we're going to just like go for the least, uh, you know, the, I don't know, not the least, but just that's like at the base, if I have that at the base, then I can't ever really lose, you know, mm-hmm. even if none of the stuff is published, but, and I'm lucky that um, many of the stories have been, and I'm, I'm happy about that. But anyway, cool. if, if you listeners want to see what, the the visual pieces that we're talking about you can go to tsbarton.com slash visual dash art it is really really wonderful really delightful and tyler you have you have been delightful and your book is delightful i uh, i appreciate that so much and i'm so glad that you had me on for this because i really have been uh listening and digging it since you guys started i was so happy when you started it because i was like this is something i really want and need and um you do a great job there's a lot of writers through this that i had not heard of and i've heard some of my favorite writers 
say things that I've never heard them say before. So cool. Great. I'm excited. That's awesome. Thank you so much. The book is eternal night at the nature museum. It comes out on Sarah band in November and you can pre-order it now for how much is it? Oh, it's between 16 and $18. I have to guess. God, that's so affordable. The right amount. Yeah, It is that's paper the right amount yeah, of money. So yeah. that's exactly the right amount of money that I want to spend. Me too. And it's well Absolutely. worth it. Thank you. That was great. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that was fun. That He's was awesome. Fun. He's a great guy for sure. And his stories are so alive. And like he said, like it really is, um, I was going to say voicey, but that doesn't seem like the right word. Yeah. I mean, that's what I had in my head too, but not in a pejorative way. Um, yeah. Yeah. They are, um, they're like character forward in a, in a, in a really great way mm-hmm. as well. Um, which is funny because I think, you know, when you talk to Tyler, he's very um, self-deprecating and calm and I think the stories, they definitely have some of that um, that quality to them in places, but really the stories are a lot louder and more um, in your face. To, I think, which is what Tyler just described them in a similar way, which was which was really interesting. That kind of relationship between his demeanor and the demeanor of the stories, I really like that a little bit of disjunction. Yeah, I think sometimes when you write like that, when you sort of let can the control of the story go into that like deeply creative space Mm -hmm. you can kind of come out of it going like well is what I did okay like what did I even do (laughs) you know and even if you've edited them and edited them and read them and read them it can still feel kind of vulnerable so I can totally understand when you're talking about your work talking about it in a way that seems almost sheepish you know but like he he he's in total control in these stories and they're so oh, absolutely. wonderful and uh, yeah, so unique. Oh, absolutely yeah another great stories eternal night at the nature museum go get it everyone good looking book too yeah it really is the cover is awesome mm-hmm. alex have we updated our bookshop oh my god no <laughs> it was a terrible idea on our part jesus christ <laughs> but it'll be on there it's gonna be on there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah, I'll take care of that. Today, my car didn't start at a, at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And I texted you about it. Mm-hmm. And moments later, someone at the grocery store brought me flowers. <laughs> and it was the nicest thing ever, Alex. That was great. Yeah. I spent a lot like, of years, a lot of years there. So I can pull some streams. <laughs> it was awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, I had to let everyone know that that happened because it was wonderful. We should mention what happened last week. Yes, we should. Last week, Alex and I sat down to record a podcast with Jerry Brennan, who runs Tortoise Books mm-hmm. and who has a new book out called Infinite Blues, which is all about space. We had a wonderful conversation with him. Mm-hmm. We talked about praying before sitting yeah. down to write. So sending, you know, our ourselves out into the universe, you mm-hmm. know, before we before we put words down. Yeah. We talked about all the research that has gone into this book. Yeah. About what it's like to run a publishing house, a small press. Yes. It was a wonderful conversation. It was. We, you and I had our same old chit chat at the end. And then mm-hmm. I, I discovered that I had not recorded the podcast. 
a first. It was a first and it was a terrible feeling. And Jerry was, you know, a total peach about it. Very understanding. We will have him back on in the future so we can have another great conversation. Um, But wanted to mention that here because, because his book is out and you guys should go to Tortoise Books and buy it. Yes, definitely. Tortoisebooks.com, also publisher of one Alex Higley. So you can get that while you're there too. You could search for my name and click it, order it. Mm -hmm. Yep. All that. If you like books about the cold war, if you like books about space, he's, he's, he's obsessed with this kind of stuff. So he's like, he does all his research. Go get it. Yeah. Go get it. Jerry, thank you for being so understanding. Jerry's the best. Yeah. What else is new? What else is new? What's been going on in my life the past three days is that the front left tire of our forklift came off and at work at work at work. And so that has just been my focus is that front left tire (laughs) jacking up that for jacking up that forklift, taking a mallet and getting it back on after I unload two pallets at a time. It's just a true fucking nightmare. That's where my brain's at. That's where it's going to be in about six, six and a half, seven hours. <laughs> Just oh, no. true hell. That's the uh, start of a Coen Brothers movie. <laughs> oh, man. Like, that's like when you decide to kill your mother-in-law oh, so that right. you can get the insurance money. Oh, my <laughs> so God. You don't have to work this shit job anymore. <laughs> it's just like so gnarly. I just like, I don't know if you like know how fucking heavy a forklift is but having to Ugh. jack one of those things up and then take a mallet to i was just like oh my god can't someone come fix it you want me to send triple a oh how long how much time do you have how much time do you <laughs> want to how much information do you want about getting a forklift repair on the weekend because i can oh give you all of it yeah so they're all closed during the weekend the guy comes out he's like god damn i don't have this part and it's like who are you? What are you doing? I told oh God. Anyway. Yeah. The, the AAA guy today, they, when they sent him out, they were like, he's a mobile battery unit, so he can replace your battery right there if need be. So he comes, he checks the battery. He's like, ma'am, this battery is bad. you got to have it replaced. Ma'am. And, yeah. And I'm like, fine, whatever. I don't care. And then he's like, nope, I don't have that battery. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, I don't care. I'm just going home. I don't care. I'll push this thing home. If reincarnation is real and I get to come back as a human with some kind of leftover consciousness from this life, I'm going to be a contractor Mm. because there's just no expectations for contractors. They just show up or not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows what the fuck is going on. They like, they hang out with their buddy. They do some work like up in the attic and then they leave. Mm-hmm. it's like the yep. same thing as this fucking repairman that I was dealing with. It's like, I don't know. He's telling me this shit. And he's like, well, you know, this process can only take place uh, at a place that has the uh, machine that they used from the years 1983 to 1997, <laughs> because that's when this part was manufactured. I don't know that he could just be making that up and mm-hmm. I can make shit up. So that's why I, I should have been this guy. I should have been a forklift repairman. That's what I'm saying, man. Ask, ask him next time for an application. Hey, you got an application to do your dumb bullshit <laughs> job because I want it. God. Nightmare. That is a nightmare. Mm-hmm. 
Good yeah, God. It's, it's all good. It's all good. I mean, I kind of like, I, I like all that bullshit. I love, uh, I love the struggle of it in a way, but yeah, it's, it's gnarly sometimes. Life is just full of beans. Mm-hmm. As they say. <laughs> what about you? What about you? Anything going on? Good. Anything um, happy? We're dog sitting right now. She's oh, cool dog. Yeah. She's her name's Bijou. I don't know what she is. She's like part wolf. Her ball. Yeah. She's, yeah. Yeah. And um, it's like having, so my youngest is three. So it's like having two, three-year-olds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like her, their energy levels are the same. Oh my God. Um, but yeah. So that's my main thing this week was, uh, was that. Did want to get along with Bijou? Yeah, one is fine. Um, every once in a while, she lets Bijou know, like, get out of my face or let me sleep because Wanda's 11. So she's doesn't have that kind of energy. Right. Um, but yeah, no, she's fine. And they, they do good sharing their stuff together. Like when they're done eating, Bijou comes and licks Wanda's bowl. <laughs> <laughs> and Wanda steals Bijou's toys and it's all fine. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful relationship. I'm going to cut so much of this yeah i'm sorry i was just like rambling about bullshit no not you me ben laughed at that he agrees he's all he's over there playing animal crossing farting on the futon i love it i love to (laughs) fart on a futon he said he loves to fart on a futon (laughs) they're great (laughs) they can really hold it okay now you got to go to sleep because you have to go to work so goodbye yeah buddy yeah yeah I'm a Writer Butt is recorded by Alex Hickley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. Yeah!